Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. of the Run to Daylight podcast sponsored by Fanball. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. Very excited to have my guest, TJ Hernandez, on with me this week. Fanball, more states, more options, more fun. That's the saying we've been going with, and the more options really has come into play as we uh, we got a bunch of new options, uh, different drafts you can join. There's now double-ups with four-hour um, and all the MFL 20s, there's three options for MFL 20s, and I know more options are on the way. If you played in a, a locale in the past where you weren't able to play, one of the huge advantages is fanballs licensed in every state that has uh, the ability to play fantasy football, so that's kind of why we came up with that neat little uh, introduction. And, of course, as everyone knows, This is the first podcast since the NFL Draft, and there is just a ton of content, really great content out there, uh, analyzing the rookies and and their landing spot, and a lot of that is very important. But I thought um, my guest and I would take a little bit different uh, take on it in the sense that we would mostly focus on existing players and how the rookies' landing affects them. So my guest is T.J. Hernandez. He is the owner and founder or co-founder of Roster Coach. He is now the director of DFS at 4 for 4 Football, the DFS MVB podcast. Um, T.J., welcome to the show again. Yeah, Todd, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, you mentioned a, a, a lot of DFS uh stuff there a lot of content that i do folks around dfs in the off season uh it's best ball that's kind of my uh my dfs fix until we get in season so uh really excited to to kind of get official draft season kicked off i know we've been a lot of us degenerates have been drafting well before the draft but i think people are going to start paying a lot more attention now yeah i agree i'm up to 50 by the way just on mfl and uh you know, the addiction is real. I mean, I, I just love it. I, I love drafting and, you know, having a good year last year just encouraged my habit all the more. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard you kind of uh, around the, the podcast space, heard you talking with Evan Silva. So congrats on that win rate last year. I, I didn't do quite as well, but uh, it's it's a new season, so I'm pretty excited to get it fired up. Well, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, when you have a good season and everyone knows you have a good season, now the pressure's on. So, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm not doing too much in the way of, you know, it's like you want to leverage the fact that you did well to get yourself more opportunities, but at the same time, you don't want to be arrogant because, 
if you if you're honest, you realize there's a lot of good people out there doing good work, and uh, you know there's no you know, success one year is no guarantee for the next. Sure, sure. And that's why we're going to dig into this. I know that uh, you've had some changes over at Four for Four. Do you want to let everyone know about uh, some of the moves and uh, your new role with the company? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, Chris Raybon departed uh, for for another site. He had a really great opportunity that he couldn't pass up, uh, but that means I got moved up to the, the director of DFS, so I'll be running uh, all things DFS over at 4 for 4. Uh, we've brought on uh, some really great people to uh, kind of help round out our roster this year. Uh, Elliot Chris will be doing some DFS for us. We have uh, Holden Kushner who will be uh, co-hosting DFS MVP podcast with me. Uh, we brought back uh, Denny Carter, uh, who a lot of people know from uh, Living the Stream podcast. He's formerly a 444. Have him back on doing some uh, some some DFS work for us as well. So we brought on uh, really a, a lot of really uh, great people. Um, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer as well would be doing some air yards work for us. So uh, rosters only getting stronger at 444. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Josh is a stud. And uh, you guys, you know, losing Chris, you know, I was telling TJ before we came on, it's almost like a breakup in the family. I I feel (laughs) like everyone in the DFS community feels like, you know, TJ and Chris were like our brothers. And, uh, but, you know, we absolutely wish him well. And you guys have added some, you know, Elliot's been on the pod a few times and he'll come on to do the rookies again soon. So we got a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, all right, let's get into the draft and some of these landing spots. Um, I think the way we'll do it is, uh, you know, the weekly article that I do, I'm going to do winners and losers this week. So we'll go through my winners, and I want you to analyze the situations and where they might affect ADP. And if you disagree with me, that just makes the show more fun. Um, the first situation that I look at is a guy – who I hadn't been taking much of because of concerns over the quarterback. I think one of the key things that you can forget in doing best ball is it takes a village or it takes the whole team. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, um, Josh Rosen coming there, and they also uh, you know, did some other nice things. What are your thoughts on Fitz this year? Yeah, I think uh, probably like we've seen in past years, he's never one of those sexy picks, but uh, he's just going to be one of those uh, steady Eddie guys that in in best ball, you're uh, it's optimizing for you each week, and and Fitzgerald's going to give you that PPR value. Uh, uh, fan ball, MFL tens, those are those are full PPR sites, and uh, yeah, they they did move up to get Rosen, but uh, also the the Cardinals sign uh, Sam Bradford, who I think will probably start the season, and we saw Fitzgerald last year even with some quarterback concerns, he kind of. Uh, kept up his pace throughout the season, no matter who was under center. And if there's one thing uh, Sam Bradford is going to do is he's going to, he's going to keep it uh, within the numbers, going to throw relatively short passes that obviously suits Larry Fitzgerald's uh, skill set. He's the, that kind of perennial slot receiver these days. And, and I think his PPR value will kind of uh, remain as we've seen the last couple of years. If anything, he'll probably get a little underdrafted. Yep. And my big concern was not Bradford, but if Bradford went down and having Rosen, who's my favorite quarterback in the class, not that I'm a big draft studier uh, like Elliott or some of these other guys, but, uh, you know, it gives you at least some confidence that they'll, they'll get reasonable QB play 
if um, if Bradford's knee just doesn't hold up. Yeah, I mean, Fitzgerald's going as as the wide receiver 14 right now. That's looking at, at fanball ADP over the last two weeks. We have seen some movement just because as it got closer to draft, we saw some rookies pushing some other players out of the way. But I still think that gives Fitzgerald a little bit of wiggle room. I think the, the top of his, of his range of outcomes is still a solid uh, top 12 wide receiver uh, just because of his, of his volume. So I think wide receiver 14 is a pretty fair price. Yeah, I do too. I was – I, I was more taking digs earlier in that area and one or two other people, but I, I, I'm, I feel a lot more comfortable with Larry and that the age thing, which is always out there. And I, you know, everyone says, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter until it does. But I, I feel a lot better now about him. And I just want to take a step back, TJ. I meant to ask you this earlier. When You know, there are certain things that people say that, you know, you partially do, but, you know, other people put it best. And the one thing that when I think of best ball in TJ Hernandez, I always think of the term portfolio. Could you mm-hmm. explain to the people about how you view a portfolio and some of the tips of playing this time of the season and building a portfolio if you're going to play in a lot of uh, MFL drafts? Yeah, I think there, there's there's quite a few angles to that, and it's actually funny you touched on it because when you mentioned uh, Fitzgerald and Diggs and slanting a little bit more towards Diggs, uh, uh, one thing I actually probably didn't do as much as I would have liked to last year is is manage my portfolio um, as as meticulously as I would like. I got a little a little high on a couple of players and, and ended up with uh, way too many uh, shares of them. But usually when, when we're talking about portfolio and best ball, we're talking about uh, one or two things. We're talking about managing uh, our player shares, uh, how, how much of each player in terms of percentage of uh, number of your rosters you have on each team. And then uh, to a lesser extent, but I think if you're really uh, paying attention like you should be managing your uh, roster construction uh, across your portfolio and that's just kind of how many teams have have two quarterbacks how many teams have three so on and so forth um but uh i i think one thing that i did last year that i re- that i would like to improve on this year is is just managing those player shares getting more shares of players i don't like because if you are playing uh relatively high volume uh that, that's really gonna help out your overall uh roi just because you, you don't want to especially in these first, you know, maybe four, uh, first six rounds, um, you really want to kind of spread those shares a little more evenly, whereas in, in later rounds you could, you could maybe uh, have a slightly higher percentage of players just because you're not spending as much uh, draft capital on those guys. But uh, depending on, on when you start and how high volume of a player you are, I think probably I don't really start paying attention to that till I get into my 20th or 30th draft, and then I'll really start looking at those shares and maybe um, reaching one or two picks for for a, a player that I'm, I'm a little low on, and maybe passing up on a player I love here and there just to uh, just to get that balance that I'm looking for. Yeah, and you know it's funny you mention that because that was my big takeaway from the year before. I, I outlined four things that I felt that I could do to improve and become profitable, you know, and they were small tweaks. And the main thing is, you know, I tend to like people about the same. Like if you, if you know, I'm not real good with numbers like you are, but if I was like my projection on digs and fits might be five, six points one way or the other, and yours sure. might be five, six points the other way. 
but the the range of outcomes over the season is very close. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I have them in tiers, and then I'll use things like risk and bye weeks and stacking to kind of spread my exposure within a tier. And with you know just by doing that last year, I ended up with not one player over twenty three percent, and and I was able to have a good a good year. So. I think that the portfolio is important and all the tricks we talk about are important, but you never really want to drop a tier to do a trick. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and you were talking about how to, how to manage those tiers and, and uh, what you're looking for. And I think another thing that people forget because of the way that best ball works in the scoring format is looking at player types. So, uh, you know, consistency or inconsistency in those high variance players. And what I look at is, is week to week consistency, just calculating, um, how up and down these players are. And yeah, you might get a lot of, a lot of steady players, a lot of really consistent players, but you want some of those high variance guys in your player portfolio as well, because remember they're optimizing your scores each week. Uh, so if you're not getting to, to the top of, of those standings, uh, at least a few weeks out of the season, it's going to be hard to come down with that uh, first place number at the end of the, at the end of the year, assuming you are playing the, the winner take all format. Yeah. The analogy for that, that I've been using so far this year is like a good mixed drink. And I know mm-hmm. you're, you're more of a beer guy. Uh, not an IPA guy, but a beer guy. <laughs> right. but in, a, in, a, in a good mixed drink, you know, you need just enough alcohol. If there's not enough yep. or if there's too much, it doesn't taste right. And, and that's how I am with uh, high-variance players. And my, you know, within my portfolio, in each individual team, I have a sense of how much risk I need to be successful. Yeah, I 100% agree. Looking for that balance, and, and I think there's actually there's times you could, if you're going to slant one way, it's probably better to slant towards a, a group of high variance guys, at least on on one team, than uh, than a bunch of guys that are going to struggle to get you first place. I agree, 100%. Especially a quarterback, I found mm-hmm. uh, I found a real correlation between those guys who give you the 30 point weeks and win percentage. Yeah. Um, back to our uh, back to our. Uh, we took a, a nice detour, but it was a detour. And um, this guy was a guy that I really was scared about after he was signed in San Francisco. Uh, but And one of the main reasons was I thought they would add another back. What are your thoughts on Jarek McKinnon and his ADP? And do you think it should go up even a little more now? Yeah, as it pertains to what happened on draft weekend, uh you know, they they didn't draft anyone. There there was a chance they might might add a little bit of depth. Um, they have one of the highest uh, vacated touch rates in the league in terms of their backfield. About sixty four percent of their touches from last year are gone. Obviously, with Carlos Hyde out of the mix, uh, the the concern for me with McKinnon is he's never handled more than two hundred three touches in a season. So for him to justify his current ADP thirtieth overall, uh, he's going to have to to push for those three hundred touches. Uh, we know that Kyle Shanahan is going to be a guy that's going to have that opportunity for his backfield as a whole, uh, but is it going to be with a single uh, running back? Uh, I, I think that probably if we just look at, at what happened in the draft and the depth chart that San Francisco has, probably the the sneaky winner is more uh, Matt, Matt Breda than McKinnon. I don't think he has much room to move up. We've seen him go as high as pick 20th overall in the past two weeks. 
so really, that, I mean, there, there just really isn't much room for him to move up there. Uh, but Brieta is a guy that I think even if uh, McKinnon does come close to uh, to meeting his value, Brieta is still a guy that could push for 120 touches and uh, and could be one of those sneaky uh, late round running backs that kind of round out your roster at the end of a draft. Yeah, I was off Breda for a while, and now I'm going to be back on him. Uh, I also, you know, it's just it's like one of these guys who just keeps tickling me. And, you know, sometimes we overreact to um, a, a back's first year. Joe Williams um, is a guy that I haven't had the guts to draft yet, but I like this tape coming out last year. He, uh, he definitely got beat out by Breda, but, you know, he, he's a guy – if you play in formats where you, you get more rounds, um, I, I think I'm going to take some of him. But I love the breed of Colin. I love that you know that you have some of the same concerns I do on McKinnon. Um, I don't anticipate being too overweight on him. Yeah, I mean, I think I think my it's not that I ne- don't necessarily like McKinnon. I think there's probably going to be that one player in every single draft that's going to reach just a little bit too far for him. If if he is late second, early third, and especially if I, I start maybe like wide receiver heavy, um, I don't mind uh, picking him up there, but uh, I, I just feel like that, that uh, second round is where he's going to end up creeping to. Yeah. And, and at that point, I just think that there are also concerns for a guy that's, you know, that, he's not going to hold up under that kind of workload. Uh, the next guy that I want to talk about is a guy who I do think can hold up under a workload. And they also didn't add a back in the draft. Uh, it's Jay Ajayi, but Darren Sproles has been signed. And I've noticed that right now you can get Sproles in my few drafts in the 20th round. Uh, talk about that Eagles backfield. Um, Ajayi's fourth round ADP and uh, how much you, you like or don't like him. Yeah, I think he's actually probably a, a fair value right now. Like you mentioned, he uh, the, the Eagles didn't add anyone to the backfield in the draft, but they, they did re-sign Sproles, who obviously is going to be uh, that pass-catching back. And then uh, he didn't get a lot of, much run last year. I think he was, he was injured for most of the season. But I think Corey Clement could actually uh, cut into the touches a little bit. I don't know that he'll necessarily be a fantasy factor, but I think if we look at Clement and Sproles combined, they have a chance to, to combine for somewhere in like the 30 to 40% of the running back touches. So that still leaves somewhere 60%-ish for JHI. Uh This is going to be a relatively balanced offense. So I think that that fringe RB2 number is probably where I like to see Ajayi. So uh, I, I actually, if I'm going to look to uh, add him to my portfolio, I kind of hope he stays right around where he's at right now. Yeah, me too. And I, I've been picking him up lately because I don't like too many other of the backs in that area. Uh, and the one thing that I think is going to go a little sneakily under is, yeah, they got three running backs, but he is now clearly the best goal line back. Yeah, and and you I, like you said the the running backs that are going around him um, at least over the last two weeks are are really why he's worth picking up. We'll, we'll get to some of these guys later, but uh, Carlos Hyde, Deion Lewis, Nick Chubb, all running backs going right around him, and now after the draft or because of free agency, all running backs that have uh, pretty big question marks in terms of workload. Uh, absolutely, um, which makes me have to ask you this, even though we're not covering the rookies. What's your thoughts on Penny, Rashawn Penny? Uh, 
I, I think probably just the concern is that um, that offense is, has been slanting a little bit more towards the pass ever since they uh, they lost Marshawn Lynch. Obviously, that's a little bit uh, because of necessity. Um, but I think probably he's a running back that, that will push for uh, – 220 to 250 touches. I don't think he's going to be a 300 touch guy in that offense just because Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he is going to cut into that rushing total a bit. And also I think in in terms of the passing game, uh, Penny seems to be a a decent pass catcher, but I think probably they – they might still want to, to have that role for CJ Procise, who again was injured last year, but has proven that if there is a running back that that's a pass catching back on that team, he's probably still the best patch, pass catching back on the roster. Yeah, I agree with that. My other concern besides the offensive line with Penny, he's not a good blocker. So I don't think he's going to be on the field on third down. And even if Procise is still hurt, they got uh, that JD McKissick there. But I think the sneaky fear for me is the fact that Richard Sherman's not there, that defense has lost a lot of players. Mm. And I know this is something that you and Chris always talked a lot about in uh, in DFS is the fourth quarter of games. There, mm-hmm. there could be a lot of games this year where the Seahawks are playing from behind. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's actually a couple of running backs that we're going to be getting to that I have similar concerns about that uh, looking at that game script, I think it's something that really goes overlooked, um, especially on the seasonal level, just because people typically uh, want want more of a, a concrete idea in terms of game script. So they're often looking at um, at that in DFS on the weekly level. But with things like projected win totals from Vegas, we can get a pretty good idea of what running backs uh, could uh, be really benefit from it or could really uh, have some of their fantasy value decimated because of negative game script. I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of the guys on that list that you have. The next team I want to talk about is the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, This is a real sneaky team for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I love AJ green. I love Joe Mixon. There's been good reports out of him. I didn't like him last year in the beginning of the year, but I felt like he turned a corner and the big problem with the Bengals was that offensive line. They've gone out and signed Cordy Glenn, and they took a center uh, very, very early in the draft. I think it was their first-round pick. And so um, Dalton, if he gets more time, is a little bit different of a quarterback. Do you kind of agree, and uh, do you think there's some sneaky value with the Bengals? Um, I don't know if – if there's sneaky value, I guess maybe uh, Dalton's the guy that's going to be the, the sneaky one. I think Mixon's probably landing about where he should. A.J. Green, uh, kind of at that 2-3 turn in some drafts, is, is the one that I'm really looking to add a lot. He's a he's a wide receiver that um, has kind of been middle of the first-round guy. He's going to be near the top of the league in targets, and because he missed some time, we just see him uh, falling a little bit in drafts. But uh, in the last couple of years, we've seen uh, – teams in best ball leagues really benefit from being at the top of the draft and not just because they're getting the the first through third picks, but also because they're coming back on that two, three turn and finding some uh, really great players that, that um, have been good, uh, but uh, maybe are coming off bad years. Last year, the most obvious examples being uh, Todd Gurley and um, DeAndre Hopkins this year, I think um, AJ Green, maybe someone like Mike Evans could be those guys. But in terms of, of what the Bengals look like after the draft, yeah, the, those players that are the usual suspects uh, kind of came out uh, shining a little bit. But the, the fourth round pick of 
Uh, Mark Walton, I think, puts a little bit of a damper on anybody that was looking to target uh, Giovanni Bernard as a, as a late-round sleeper. Mark Walton's a running back that kind of profiles as a, a Devontae Freeman-type back from uh, from the Atlanta Falcons, kind of that uh, diverse running back that does have the ability to catch the ball. Uh, so I think probably Walton, uh, if if we were trying to figure out the most likely scenario, ends up being that Geo replacement, and maybe sooner rather than than later, as I, th- I don't think Geo's contract goes uh, beyond 2018. That's a great point. I didn't think of that one. Um, let's move over to the division rival Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you might have this number. I didn't. I didn't pull it. I saw it on Twitter, but. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster with Martavis Bryant playing and with him not playing, there was a huge difference uh, in Juju's points. Uh, But they did take James Washington to replace Martavis Bryant. Uh, What's your thoughts on Juju? I mean, I thought he was a a real great player and great talent, but he certainly was going kind of towards the top end of his value and now with Martavis Bryant gone, I think he's going to start going even earlier. Yeah, uh, going right around wide receiver 24 over the past uh, couple weeks. I, I think I still like him there. He's, he's probably, uh, not probably, I think he, he's pretty definitely the third target there behind Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. But also I think there's uh, enough volume and enough efficiency where uh, that pr- probably settles him in right where he needs to be. I don't think there's going to be a lot of wiggle room for him to outperform that ADP, but I don't think that uh, James Washington necessarily puts a, a huge dent in that just because uh, we we generally see pass catchers, especially rookie pass catchers, uh, come along relatively slowly. It's pretty rare that a wide receiver or tight end really makes a huge dent uh, in their first year, save, save a couple examples here and there. Yeah, and, and Washington, I think his year one, he'll have some big plays. He's got a great uh, deep profile. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I like Juju a lot. And I think the real sneaky guy in the Steelers is Ben this year. You know, he's going in the 10th round. And if you think of Brown in the first round and Schuster in the fifth and Le'Veon Bell, I mean, the guy feeding him the ball is going to be Ben. He profile, He's had 30 point, three 30 point weeks, three years in a row. And that's something that I love uh, at a, out of the quarterback position and to get him in the 10th round. I, I, and he's, he also was unhappy last year with his coordinator who moved on. I, I like Ben this year. Do, uh, what are your thoughts? Yes, especially um, in best ball where you don't have to guess where those big games are going to be. You know that, that just because of the weapons they have on this offense, they're almost guaranteed to have one of those five or six touchdown explosions a couple times uh, a season. So uh, he's a guy, especially because he's one of the more consistent uh, or uh, I'm sorry, one of the more higher variance quarterbacks. A lot of people think of him as consistent, but you mentioned he has, he has some of those really big games, which, uh, which causes him to fluctuate. So if I, if I have a quarterback, maybe like uh, a Phillip rivers who I'm pairing him with, who's kind of going to be that steady Eddie, I really like, uh, getting Ben Roethlisberger for those big spikes um, if I don't have someone else like that. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's a guy I've been uh, targeting if I don't take Cam Newton in the eighth round. Um, Alex Collins, uh, staying in division. The Ravens didn't bring in any running back this draft. They do get Kenneth Dixon back. Um, they, they've added a lot of weapons, but uh, Alex Collins right now, fifth, sixth round, uh, he's got more room for touches than a lot of people. 
Yeah, he's currently going uh, outside the top 60, uh, running back 26, I, I believe, off the board over the last couple of weeks. Now that they didn't draft anybody, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Collins move up to, to somewhere around the fourth round, which is where I'd probably be comfortable taking him in terms of uh, the highest point if he if he gets into the third a uh, few question marks no, there just because you. we're not sh- just because we're not sure how good this <laughs> team is going to be. He's Collins, exactly. But but kind of in the in the, in that same uh, uh, tone of of Matt Breda, I think this makes uh, Kenneth Dixon a, a decent really late round flyer. He's a guy that was going um, uh, almost undrafted, but I, I think probably you can add him on to the end of of your running back depth charts uh, if you if you need a, a sixth or seventh guy in best ball. Yep, another guy who, um, you know, everyone seems to assume isn't going to get a lot of playing time is Marlon Mack, and they they brought in, I think, fourth-round draft pick Himes. I don't know how to pronounce that first name. I'm sorry. Um, what are your thoughts there? I mean, that, you know, it, that, that, that whole offense is just all about Andrew Luck and whether he can play or not. Yeah, I think probably uh, Marlon Mack looks like one of the more obvious running back winners uh, just in terms of uh, what teams did uh, in terms of addressing or not addressing a backfield need. Uh, I think probably Mack will end up being one of the most overdrafted uh, players on our on our winner list. Uh, he's currently being drafted as the running back 44. I think probably a lot of people will look at the uh, draft capital that the Colts spent on Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins and and uh, assume that Mac's going to be a guy that pushes 65, 70% of the, the backfield touches. But the Colts have already came out and said that they're open to uh, a running back by committee with these two. And, and I think probably Mac's share will, will end up being close to something like 50 to 55% of the backfield touches. And, and back to what you said, uh, if Luck plays, how, how healthy is, gonna, he, is he going to be? And if you're drafting him now, uh, if his price climbs like we'd expect it to, how much touchdown equity are you really getting um, if, with the possibility that Luck might not be there for who knows what percentage of the season? So um, of all these running back winners, I think Max probably the one I have the biggest concern about. Uh, and, and there's one other concern with all of these second-tier type guys um, that you know are shoveled into roles. There's still a couple good uh, veteran free agents on the market, and you'd have to think that the Colts might consider a C.J. Anderson or a DeMarco Murray. Sure. I, I mean, especially when they have um, their new coach coming out and saying right after the draft that he's open to a competition. Uh, usually those, those public statements are, are of the uh, – on the positive side, uh, so when they're coming out and saying that immediately, I, I think that's uh, something to take note of. Yep. Uh, one guy whose role is absolutely secure and was also a bit of a winner was Christian McCaffrey. I really thought that the Panthers were going to bring in a pounder to, to uh, you know, for that Jonathan Stewart role. They've been talking about uh, giving Cameron Artis Payne the first shot at that role, and that's another team that I wouldn't be shocked to see a veteran land in. But for now, Christian McCaffrey is even more solid, I think, as a mid to late second round pick. Yeah, I mean, especially if we're looking at PPR leagues, I think he is probably uh, 
the odds on favorite to be the, the running back that leads his team in receptions. Uh, I don't really know if there's a, a pass catcher on this team that even really has a chance to, to out catch McCaffrey this season. So uh, that alone is obviously going to be a ton of value. He's going to be a player that will most likely be well over 100 targets, um, especially with, with Cam Newton under center. And, and you mentioned not having, not bringing in a power back. I mean, Cam Newton's pretty much the best short yardage back in the league. So that's uh, true. I mean, I, I think that um, <laughs> we we weren't sure what this what was it was going to look like last year with uh, Christian McCaffrey to the Panthers because Cam typically hasn't had uh, a running back to throw to, but that also means he's never really. Um, supported a pass catcher running back. Now we know that they can do that, and I'm I'm very confident with McCaffrey where he's going. Yeah, and they uh, uh, they also have a new offensive coordinator, I believe, with uh, Shula moving on. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll it's an interesting team, but I, I love Cam in the eighth. He, you know, last year my number one owned uh, quarterback was Russell Wilson, who people, you know, I felt weren't taking into account the fact that his leg injury the year before had really limited his running. Um, I, I just think Cam in the eighth, and you want to talk about a guy who gives you that uh, great profile of big weeks. No one gives you bigger weeks than Cam. Yeah, especially because of what he can do on the ground. I mean, he. I mean, that's actually a really good call. Being the being the Russell Wilson of this season, I think. Um, I think I'll probably end up with quite a few Cam shares this season. Yeah, love him, love him. The other guy that I love late, if you're looking for a high boom bust, is uh, Mahomes. So I'll throw that out there. Um, Jordan Howard, um, first his coach comes out and says he's the starter, and then the Bears didn't add a running back in the draft, but they did add a second-round guard to an already solid offensive line. Um, I think the Bears are a team that's going to be better this year on offense. Uh, I don't see how they can't. And uh, your thoughts on Jordan Howard? As far as his draft goes, um, he definitely came out as a winner. I think all of my concerns about Howard were already in place well before the draft. Uh, Chicago had one of the actually the highest run rate neutral game script last season. Matt Nagy's coming over from a Kansas City offense with the the fifth highest uh, passing rate in neutral game script, and and then a lot of the moves uh, this off season obviously revolved around the passing game. You noted they did uh, get a solid offensive lineman behind. A, to kind of shore up that offensive line. But uh, I, I do think uh, there's some writing on the wall that suggests that Chicago is going to go a little more pass heavy than they were uh, last season. And uh, only 9% of Jordan Howard's touches since the beginning of 2016 have been receptions. That ranks him 47 out of 56 qualifying uh, running backs over the last two seasons. So a, a little bit of concern, especially in PPR leagues. And that, my friends, is why TJ is <laughs> – is as good as he is breaking that out like that. Great stuff, TJ. Thanks on that one. Um, uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and I guess you got to throw Ty Montgomery in. They didn't add anything of note there, um, but boy, I uh, I really like Aaron. I like both of them, but I really like Aaron Jones. Um, they're going later. It's an it's a tough situation to parse. But I think it's one where you want to have a decent amount of shares of each of these guys. What do you think? Yeah, we have both of these guys going right around the seventh or eighth round, um, which which I think is about where you want them. I actually like Williams a little bit more, but like you said, it's just one of those situations we talked about at the top of the show, uh, having a, a exposure within our player profile, and this is 
uh, actually a, a relatively easy situation to do that because you have uh, two players that are going to be battling for touches on an offense that's going to be very high scoring. You're not going to be spending a ton of, of equity. That seventh, eighth round is where you start getting into uh, some question marks, even if you think you have a, a good read on, on a guy. Kind of after that sixth round is where things um, – picks start getting higher variance. So uh, kind of ping-ponging back between these two guys uh, as you're running back three, four, kind of depending on how you draft, I think is a fine strategy. Yeah, and I think you can even draft both of them on the same team in a small percentage of leagues uh, and hope for a, uh, a wear and hunt situation where one goes down. Uh, I think, you know, if, if you get – I think they both could pay off one week. One guy could pay off one week. The next could pay off if you draft one in the seventh and the other one. I wouldn't do it in the seventh and the eighth, but sometimes I find one of them dropped to the ninth. Uh, I've stack cuffed them once so far. It's not something I'm looking to do a lot of, but I think you know when we talk about portfolios, that's one that I'm uh, I'm willing to do on occasion. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Again, especially if you see those guys drop. I mean, they're they're only going five picks apart right now, but all it takes is is one draft. Uh, the, the variance. Um, within picks as you get later in the rounds is much higher. So just because you see ADPs within five or six uh, picks, that doesn't necessarily, that mean that means that's going to happen within a draft. Oftentimes you can see a, a sometimes a, almost a two round variance when you start getting to that eighth round area. So uh, lots, lots of opportunities to see players p- uh, fall within those picks. Yeah. And if for some reason, you know, you're, you, you need running backs and you're at seven, 12 and eight, one, that's, that's a positive. It's a possibility mm-hmm. considering the board. Another guy going in that range who I think is going to start moving up but still scares the daylights out of me is Lamar Miller. Uh, Donta Foreman, who I like a lot and was drafting a lot of early. We got the news he might start on Pup. What, uh, and now they just re-signed Alfred Blue. What are your thoughts about the Houston backfield, TJ? Uh, Lamar Miller currently going as the RB thirty-one seventy-sixth overall. Uh, I think there's a little bit of room for for him to move up and, and, and still uh, comfortably take him if he's in that fourth to fifth round range after the draft. I'm fine with that. Any higher, uh, I, I have some concerns just because the concern with Lamar Miller is the same concern we've had with him all the way back to his days in Miami. He just has a cap on his his touches per game. He's just going to be within that 15 to 20 touch range and very rarely isn't going to be any higher. Uh, what's it going to look like with the full season of Deshaun Watson? Uh, probably um, like we see with other running quarterbacks, the quarterbacks are going to cut into that um, a little bit. So uh, uh, Miller's a guy that if he moves uh, any higher than the fourth round, probably I'll start shying away from him. But as it stands right now, I think he's uh, actually a little bit undervalued. We'll see how his ADP shakes out post-NFL draft, though. A guy that I think might be a little undervalued is Marshawn Lynch. The Raiders are your team, at least until they move to Vegas. Uh, <laughs> give us your thoughts on Marshawn, TJ. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, it's not a, a backfield that I'm typically looking to invest in just because I, I think that uh, probably their their best, uh, their most talented running backs aren't starting. I, I think maybe um, uh, their their backups. <laughs> You're uh, DeAndre, DeAndre Washington. Guys, no. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but I mean, Marshawn currently going as the as the RB forty. I think that's just uh, a little ridiculous. I think. Uh, his true ADP should probably be somewhere around the, the sixth round right now. Um, so even if he moves up a little bit, I think uh, there's obviously a ton of wiggle room for him as the RB40. 
Um, if he gets any higher than the, the fifth, or, fifth or sixth round, that's that's where I'll start ignoring him. But uh, we're going to have to see ADP move uh, quite a bit before that happens. Yep. Um, I know it's kind of crazy to talk about a defense, but I was on the Titans defense before this and because I'm a big believer when a, a big D coordinator goes to a new spot, especially when there's already a lot of talent in place and they added Malcolm uh, Butler and they just went out and got Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry uh, in the first couple rounds of the draft. I've never had 50% of anything in best ball, but right now I'm sitting on 50% of the Titans D. Um, any, am, am I crazy TJ? Um, I think 50% is a, a little hot takey. I, I like to have my, my uh, defensive spread out a little thinner than that, but it's obviously – I normally I just do think too. We're, we're talking about – we were talking a little bit about game script, uh, and I think that's a team that probably in real life has improved quite a bit for a, a lot of reasons. I think they're just going to be um, a better offensive team with, uh, with, with a new uh, coaching regime, which obviously can help their wins. Um, one other winner that, that we didn't mention before we move on to losers, I, um, I think Michael Crabtree is probably one of the bigger winners. We saw one of the more curious drafts from, from Baltimore, um, taking, uh, taking two tight ends in the first four rounds. They really struggled in the red zone last year. I don't know that their draft did anything to improve that. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with um, Joe Flacco, but uh, Crabtree is probably the odds-on favorite to, to be um, the the main red zone target in that offense by, by a mile now. You know, that's a good call. I was drafting a ton of him before he got, because he was going in the late sixth, early seventh before he got cut, which I thought was egregious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I, my big fear with Flacco is that back, you know, once you've got a back yeah. problem, you, you know, it can, it can spark up at any time. Um, he definitely looked a little better, at the end of the year than he did in the beginning when he first heard it. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to start getting back on the crab. Yeah, I, I think they probably got one of the best uh, insurance policies in the league with that Lamar Jackson signing, though. I think that, that that's, was, a player that's that another a, good point. Yeah. A lot of people expected to go in the top half of the draft last until the last pick in the first round. Um, so I, I think probably, uh, I mean, there, there's some that might say if, if Flacco doesn't play, that might be the best for this offense. Yeah, I think that uh that that's a great call and uh I'm glad you brought that up. Did did I did I miss anyone else? No, I think I think Crabtree was the one that that uh the only omission that really stood out for me. All right. Well, we're going to go to the losers as TJ mentioned and um you know, from from the run to daylight hot central, uh we're looking at the value of Carlos Hyde, Chubb and Duke Johnson and It was kind of uh, kind of blew up all of them, didn't it, TJ? <laughs> yeah, I mean this this was three running backs. He, even before Nick Chubb was drafted, three guys that were going in the top sixty-five picks overall. Uh, this this is one of the the situations I was talking about. Uh, Carlos Hyde coming over to the Browns I already had concerns with him uh, because I, I still don't think this is going to a team that's going to win more than maybe six games this year. So uh, that, that would have favored Duke Johnson in his pass catching role already. Uh, I, I would argue that Carlos Hyde's probably going to be undraftable at this point. Uh, I, I think Johnson will probably still have a, a decent role in the pass catching game just because we have seen them, especially last year, move Johnson to the slot. So uh, I think even if he, um, 
has uh, maybe 20 or 30 less touches than Chubb, who I think is will be the leader in this backfield. I think uh, Hyde actually um, – I'm sorry, Johnson uh, can actually still be the, the best fantasy performer in this backfield just because we know how efficient uh, pass-catching running backs can be, and I think that the, the Browns will find themselves in those passing situations a lot. So uh, really messy here. If Duke Johnson stays kind of in that seventh, eighth round, obviously I like it later now uh, because Chubb's there, but I think Johnson's probably – the only guy that I'll end up having shares of because I think Chubb will probably be overdrafted. And like I mentioned, I just, I don't see how high does a, a draftable asset at this point. Yeah. I had so much Chubb, uh, like 18, 19% before mm-hmm. the draft. I love him. I just think he, you know, for a big guy, he hits the hole so quick. Uh, I really, really like Chubb. He's my favorite running back in the class, not named Barkley. Uh, just from a pure talent perspective. Moving on to another situation that, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're, we're giving enough credit for how much uh, this situation could blow up. But uh, LaShawn McCoy, what are your thoughts on McCoy? And nothing against him, but that offense just looks like it's going to be awful. And I think much like Carlos Hyde, the only hope McCoy might have at paying off value right now for people who drafted him early is if he gets traded. Yeah, I mean, the the Bills already ranked 27th um, in adjusted line yards, which is a, a stat that Football Outsiders uses to, to grade uh, offensive lines in terms of, of run blocking last year. Uh, ranked 27th in that stat last year. They didn't draft an O-lineman until the fifth round. Uh, they added, added center Russell Bodine and tackle Marshall Newhouse in the offseason, but I don't think either of those guys are, are necessarily going to move the needle on how we think about this uh, offense in terms of, of uh, run blocking and then um, just this whole offense as a whole, probably a little bit of a loss. I, I guess Kelvin Benjamin is their wide receiver one at this point, but uh, Josh Allen throwing to him, I, I, is Allen going to start right off the bat? I don't know, but um, I don't think it, it helps anybody if he does. Yeah, someone on Twitter wrote that, you know, Kelvin Benjamin has a career like 56% uh, catch rate and that Josh Allen in, like, second-tier college had a 56% completion percentage. You know, what, what, what's their pro number going to be? And I, I, I tweeted back something like, I think that equals – I'm not great with numbers, but I think that equals zero. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, the the only thing that, that uh, Shady has going for him if he stays on this offense is uh, he did score the, the most points below expectation in terms of uh, red zone touches being converted into uh, touchdowns last season. That's uh, among running backs. So he did have scoring opportunities last year, and that touchdown rate within the red zone is typically a very high variance uh, stat from year to year. Usually that normalizes towards – a, a league average or a player average, and we've seen Shady be efficient in the red zone before. So I do think that we can see his touchdown numbers normalize even on a bad offense. I just don't know that um, over the course of the season that it's going to be something that's steady enough to really rely on as a as a RB1 or RB2 on your roster. The next situation we'll go over is the last of the real disaster areas from the draft. And it's the Patriots' backfield. Uh, Rex Burkhead was one of my five or six, maybe top, top ten players that I owned last year because I have I have this theory that you know Belichick with his you know there's always four or five running backs. Take the one who's 
got a chance for you know a, 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 a serious chance to have a good role and is being drafted last and avoid the guy who's being drafted first. So I wasn't taking any Burkhead heading into the draft. They add Sony Michelle, who to me profile. It, it's almost like they said, "How do we replace Dion Lewis?" And Michelle mm-hmm. really seems to profile very similarly to me. Uh, what are your thoughts on this backfield now, TJ? I mean, the, it's very rare that uh, the Patriots spend this kind of draft capital on a running back. I think the last time was Lawrence Maroney. I might be missing one somewhere in there. Uh, no, but, that was but, it. But like you said, um, Belichick is a guy that typically is is going to uh, rotate his running backs. I, I mean, I, I think uh, Michelle will end up being the the touch leader uh, in this backfield come the end of season. I just don't know how big that gap's going to be. We've seen even with with the running backs that that have the hot hand, whether it was it's Rex Burkhead or Deion Lewis or even James White. There's stretches where this offense will do a a three way thirty three percent split uh, with multiple running backs. And I won't be surprised if we see that many times this season. One of the biggest concerns uh, with Michelle is his fumble rate. And if there's one coach that, that that's not going to work under, that's Belichick. So yeah, they, they got, uh, they spent a lot of draft capital on him, but um, I, I think probably uh, now Burkhead will end up being a guy that, that you might be looking to if he drops into those double digit rounds where Michelle probably starts creeping in the six, seven. I agree. Before the draft, I was taking uh, Hill, uh, the the Bengals guy, and mm. uh, Jeremy Hill. And right for yeah, because the Blount role, right? So mm. now the question is: Burkhead did really well in the red zone last year. I mean, you're Mister Red Zone Numbers. Uh, how you know how how efficient was Burkhead in the red zone? Yeah, I don't have those numbers right in front of me. I I believe that he was actually one of the guys that was. Uh, pretty close to expectation. So I think his efficiency matched up uh, with his opportunity pretty closely. That was more of a, a function, if I remember correctly, of, of the Patriots just uh, using their running backs um, heavily near the goal line. I, I don't know that Burkhead necessarily outperformed his efficiency. So it just comes down to who is going to, to be in the backfield when they get near the goal line. Yeah. And that's my question. Jeremy Hill might not be good at a lot of things, but even in his bad years, he's performed very well in short yardage. And Belichick has shown in the past that if a guy is really good in that role, he'll be on the field in that role. So I, I think if Burkhead can earn himself the goal line work over Hill and we see Hill get cut, um, I think then that Burkhead really could pay off value because he is a, guy, a dual threat who can run and catch the ball. Yeah, like yeah, I I again, it I think it's just going to be a another frustrating Belichick situation. Um it's really hard to pencil anyone in for for 250 touches in this offense. Yep, and if it is like you said, it's probably Michelle. Um Mohamed Sanu is a guy who um I'm seeing some overreaction on Twitter about with the addition to Calvin Ridley. I think it does uh ding Sanu some. But I, I think Ridley really profiles as a good slot guy. He's got that short area quickness. I, I think all three of them are going to be on the field a lot, and uh, I'm not going to ding Sanu too much. How about you? 
Yeah, Sanu is already going as the wide receiver 49, which, um, I mean, that obviously gives him uh, so, some room to uh, to improve on. I don't know that, that he can necessarily get dinged much more than wide receiver 49. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Calvin Ridley is, is um, uh, obviously rookies just generally don't uh, perform it. Uh, incredibly, uh, their first year rookie uh, pass catchers, and Ridley is a, is a lot uh, is a wide receiver that a lot of people uh, or some people thought was the best wide receiver in the draft. So if he goes to a place that um, that need had a wide receiver need, I think probably uh, he gets a bump in ADP. He was already starting to climb a little bit. I think if anything, this hurts Ridley's ADP value uh, more than Sanu. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I I wasn't drafting Ridley at his ADP, and uh, it'll it'll take uh, it'll take a lot for me to get on board there. Uh, for, for, you know, I think in the long run, I think he can be a good NFL player, but right out of the gate, it could be tough to pay off value in that offense. Um, Devin Funches, a guy I wasn't drafting too much of. Um, they they add uh, DJ Moore, who many consider the best wide receiver in the class. Your thoughts on Funches's value? We talked a little bit about McCaffrey already. Uh, didn't miss, mention Greg Olson too much, but uh, Funches was pretty clearly, in my opinion, already penciled in as as the third target behind those two. Exactly. Uh, he was going as a wide receiver twenty seven. Uh, again, with these rookie wide receivers, I don't think DJ Moore is going to walk in and see something like seventy targets. But I think it puts puts enough of a ding in Funches's Funches's target expectation that. Um, I don't know if he's he's really a top 100 pick for me at this point. Yep, uh, I, I and I, I had again, another guy that I had a ton of last year because I thought he was a great value late. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I don't know if it's me. You know, when you when you're used to getting a value on a guy, it's hard to pay 10, 12 rounds more than you did the year before. But I, I I'm glad you feel the same way. I, I, I the math wasn't working in my head. Um, yeah, we're running I'm, I'm a pretty little... sure. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, I'm pretty sure they also just gave Olsen an extension. So any concerns over, which I think it was a foot injury last year, uh, they're obviously pretty confident in that. Yeah, I'm I'm buying Olsen uh, at a a slightly overweight position. I I think that the offense improving is a good thing for Olsen. And you know, one thing we find out about quarterbacks, uh, TJ, throughout the league is once a, guy, a quarterback and a receiver have a connection. Until that receiver really slows down, that connection doesn't go away. And Cam's best connection all these years has been with Greg Olson. Absolutely, especially in the red zone. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to throw out a couple names since we're running out of time. Take one or two of them and give me your thoughts. Uh, Dak Prescott, all the Jaguars wide receivers, Chris Carson, Sammy Perrine, uh, P. Ryan, um, smorgasbord, take one or two or a, a short on all of them. Uh, I, I think the two most uh, obvious ones to talk about here are, are Chris Carson and P. Ryan uh, with, uh, with Penny going to Seattle and Darius Geis going to the Redskins. Uh, it's a spot where I think both of these guys probably become undraftable right now. Um, Penny's already the running back 34 of the last couple weeks. I think he'll move up to a, a solid RB2, whereas Chris Carson was going as the RB42 overall. I think he probably falls off of draft boards. Same thing uh, in Washington. Darius Geis, uh, I, I think he'll probably settle somewhere in the fourth to fifth round, although uh, Washington has already come out and say that Chris Thompson 
is going to be their third down back. So I think the, the drafting of the guys will see, obviously, P. Ryan fall off boards. I think it'll cause Thompson to uh, drop a round or two. But I, I think probably one of my personal biggest takeaways in terms of building up my portfolio is it will lead to more shares of Chris Thompson for me, who I already liked at his current four, uh, 68th overall price. All right. Um, that's going to do it for the show, TJ. Amazing stuff as always. Why don't you tell the good people where they can find you? Yeah, find me. Uh, all my work, I'll tweet out on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Uh, all my off-season content you'll be able to find at 444.com. And as we get uh, closer to DFF season, you'll be able to find my work at rostercoach.com as well. Awesome. TJ, thank you as always for coming on. Uh, I'm Todd from PA. You can find me at Todd from PA. That's Todd with one D. And we will catch you next week. Thanks, folks.